Hello and welcome to The Parent Panel, a weekly podcast that asks one mum and one dad their thoughts on the events of the week, with a particular focus on the things that affect parenting. Today, we have a mum who has not only dared the dating world of Tinder, she's written about it so other single ladies can navigate the choppy waters of online dating, and our dad's dulcet tones can be heard across your radio and TV. Yourself just being bossed around. You're going, wait, wait a second. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm the adult. <laughs> Neve one day took her nappy off and just rubbed it on the wall. Oh, wow. I kind of feel like parenting is a good antidote to my anal retentiveness. I think you're still in the trenches with your kids. I like the expression trenches. I sometimes call it the vortex. <laughs> the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Our mum today is writer and author Kerry Sackville. She has three children, two girls and a boy. Update me on their ages again, Kerry. They haven't aged a lot since last time I was here. <laughs> my son you're, not, is, you're not counting them in months uh, anymore? Yeah, that's right. My son is, is 20 months, which is, sorry, is 20, <laughs> which is, I'm trying to work it out, which is what, 240 months? Is that right? No, that's it in dog years. Is that right? So okay, let's not anyway, go, go into that's, not, okay, that's not our forte. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, and my daughter is 18 and doing the HSC, you know, final year of school, the exams, which is horrific. And my little one is 11, going on, occasionally going on to 16, occasionally going on three. So it just <laughs> depends on what day it is. Well, that's, that's good. Give yeah. you a bit of variety. Yeah. Uh, and the book, of course, is called Out There, A Survival Guide for Dating in Midlife. Our dad is a meditation coach, voiceover artist and founder of Busy Dads, Grant Linden. He has four kids, three boys and a girl. They are... <laughs> They're 12. They are kids. They, they are, are kids they, they are 12, 10, 5 and 4. Now, I introduced you as a... A voice that people hear on radio and TV. Mm-hmm. What I'd never actually asked you where we would hear your voice. I mean, I'm used to your dulcet tones on this program. Yeah. But where would people hear you specifically, radio or TV more? Uh, both, actually, but predominantly TV, sort of at the moment. I narrate a show on Channel 7 called Aussie Lobster Men. It was called Giant Lobster Farmers, I think, last season. Hold on, so are the farmers giant or the lobster <laughs> farming giant? Well, it depends on the day, right. um, which is a reality show about these lobster fishermen that go into the Bath Strait and all those areas, and they go into like six metre seas, and their How life is on the line. I about this show. That's, that's what one might call a niche a program. niche show. I used to voice, I voiced the first four seasons of House Rules, which is a renovation ah. show. Does that mean you know lots about lobsters and renovation now? Like, do you actually I, learn something when I've you do I've learned heaps about lobsters, yeah, yeah. And I learned a lot about renovation. I learned more about what not to do in a renovation <laughs> and with your relationship because a lot of those relationships can dissolve. Our topics today are sleepovers for kids, raising boys and toy world fantasies. First up, though, are wedding dresses appropriate dress-ups for girls? <laughs> Kmart has removed a child bride costume from their racks pre-Halloween madness after a mum started a campaign on change.org. In her pitch to potential signatories, she says, tell Kmart this is beyond inappropriate and offensive and that they have a social responsibility to pull this item off their shelves immediately. And she goes on to point out the widespread exploitation of girls as child brides around the world. Kerry. I knew you were going to ask me first. <laughs> well, you're wearing the T-shirt, um, which is a feminist T-shirt, just saying. You can't see. Um, 
Was this a legitimate move on the part of the mother, given the allusion to girls being child brides? Also, she mentions there's no groom costumes on the racks uh, and the message that it sends to kids, i.e. it's good for girls to get married. Or are dress-ups just a form of imaginative play and not harmful in terms of the messages they send? Yeah, the latter. (laughs) Oh, God. You know... I read this and uh, maybe because I'm getting old and crotchety and, you know, the words political correctness gone mad, kind of flash in my head. Kids like to dress up and the reason there's no groom costumes is that little boys don't, you know, groom costumes are boring. They're tuxedos. Who the hell wants to wear a tuxedo? Little boys aren't interested in that. And the reason little girls like to dress up in bridal outfits is because they're fun and there's, you know, big dress and the veil and, yes, child bride exploitation is a terrible thing but if we start getting rid of all the good things in life because sometimes bad things go along with it we're going to have nothing left you know watch any of the marvel movies and you see the superheroes sometimes get up to really bad stuff you know sometimes they they kill good people by accident or they turn evil or they you know flip out and want to destroy the world does that mean we can't dress up in superhero costumes can't dress up as a doctor because some doctors are mad and deliberately kill people or perform bad plastic surgery. What? I'm just rambling now, but no, I think it's I think it's a little over the top. That's Ooh. my Halloween costume this year, the bad plastic surgeon <laughs> costume. I thought you were going to say the bride. I'm like, that I would like to see. I've just been listening to a lot of podcasts about evil doctors. Uh, so, Dr. Death. Dr. Death and That's a few oh, others. So, so disturbing. You know. oh, did, you, did you listen to The Shrink Next Door? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. I've got to listen to that. So yeah, good. Yeah. Disturbing, but good. Anyway, let's stop promoting podcasts that aren't this one. That's right. <laughs> I only listen to those when I finish listening to Kindle. Exactly. Grant, what do you think of oh, this? I'm with Kerry on this. It's just, it drives me mad when people start making a mountain out of a molehill. You know, it's, it's like kids are going to dress up. My five-year-old daughter just wants to be her mum. She wants to be my wife. She just wants to dress up just like mummy, sits oh, there, crosses so, her legs like yeah. mummy, does all the girly <laughs> things that mummy does, wears mummy's shoes around the house, you know, does all that stuff. It's natural, normal yeah. play. You and know? what about the boys that want to wear the bride's dress? Let them wear the Let bride's wear dress. Let them wear the dress. Oh, in fact, but if you not... take it off the racks, then boys yep. can't play well, with that's it either. Right. My, my daughter dressed up last year with her best friend as the Shining Twins for Halloween. <laughs> it was great. Which age child was this? Uh, well, she was 10 at the time. It's slightly disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, what, what you were just saying about how your daughter wants to dress up as mummy. My, my, my 18-year-old came into my bedroom last night and I was lying there with my you know, my anti-aging face cream on. And she goes, ooh, slimy. She goes, I hope I never end up like you. <laughs> so I think that's great. Embrace her wanting to dress up like mummy when she when she still wants The differences to. are good. Oh, like, I just think it's mad. It's you mad. know, it's like it's innocent play. Yep. And it's someone who's got a problem with it. You know, that's it's a, well, it's just basically voicing the way they see the world. Yes, I was the going way they to say, see the world. if that's what they think about when they're looking at a little girl in a, in a bridal costume. Yeah. And look, uh, from going a, on in their brain. from a empathetic and compassionate point of view, they may have had some trauma based around that, and that's cool too. And hopefully, they're healing and working on that stuff. But yeah, I think it's just all blown it, out of proportion. The other thing about that stuff, when they say little girls shouldn't be dressing up as princesses, etc., that's assuming that the parents that are raising them aren't having conversations about that stuff. Mm. They're not playing podcasts like Rebel Girls. I'm doing it again. <laughs> promoting other podcasts, Fierce Girls. There are so many great empowering things for. Mm 
for girls growing up. And mm. if you just take that in isolation and say, we're sending the wrong message here, it's like, well, what else are you teaching but your kids? But the other kids? thing is, I think sometimes you're reading too much into it. Little girls and little boys mm. often mm. like to dress up in big dresses, big mm. puffy dresses. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, want, you know, they only want to dress up in the princess or the bridal costume. I mean, my daughter went as a bride for a dress up when she was about five. Mm. It's because it's a nice big dress and mm. give yes. it a label because if you just wear a dress, I have to be something, mummy. I mm. can't just wear a pretty dress. I have to be something. So they have to be a princess or a ballerina or a bride, but they just want to wear the big and fluffy dress. And let's be honest, if fun. you're a parent that can spend six bucks on a bridal dress yeah. compared to what I spent on mine, <laughs> yeah. you're doing well. And then yeah. tried to hock it on bridalgirls.com or whatever. <laughs> Childbrides.com. You know, <laughs> and look, I think the other thing attached to this is, is there's a really important message that, you know, archetypes are really important for kids to connect to. And mm. I think the bride is a pretty archetypal, you know, image for a young girl. You know, it's something to aspire to. Anyway, it's very, you know, clear. Or aspire against. <laughs> yes. well, or, or against. <laughs> That's yeah. right. If Depending it's on archetype. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's pretty archetypal, you know, and it's like the bill. I just can't, can't stop thinking about. The other side of that for the, the very typical boys dress up costumes like the builder, you know, the hard hat and all that kind of stuff or the policeman or all that kind of stuff. They are innocent archetypal things that they experience in the community. It's healthy for them to explore those things. And both genders to explore. Yeah, both genders. And that's our job as parents, not other parents telling us what we can and can't buy mm. in the stores. Well, I remember that when my daughter was at kindy, there was a little boy who went every day and dressed up in the bridal outfit for about a year or two and it was great. Mm. All right. Well, next, this is, again, <laughs> something for me to learn from you. Sleepovers. When do they start and what are the rules? Hey, you want one, Sandy? No, thanks. I don't smell. You don't? Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Try it. It won't kill you. Give her a hip parade. <laughs> 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 Oh, I forgot to tell you, you shouldn't inhale unless you're used to it. Sandy, let me teach you how to French inhale. It's really cool. Watch. Okay, so if you didn't know that Grease, scene, Grease. it was Grease. The sleepover scene. Exactly. And, and that's how I got my nickname, Frenchie. Sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know the whole thing word for word, do you, Kerry? <laughs> well, of course, that is not the kind of slumber party we want our children to be attending, at least not when they're 10, right? <laughs> Not till they're 12. <laughs> That's right. This week, writer Darren Levin talked about how much his life has changed since his daughter started doing sleepovers. He referred to a mum who earlier this month got slammed on Reddit for giving her 11-year-old son's friends a contract to sign before they came over for a sleepover. Among other notes this contract had, she wrote... Constructive requests are encouraged in a calm, polite tone of voice. This means you wait to have my attention and acknowledgement before you start speaking to me. Grant. She sounds like a barrel of laughs, that she. Well, she actually sounds like she's been spending some time in the costume department at Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't she? Uh, when yeah. we, let's start with the basics. Um, when were your kids allowed to go on a sleepover? Mm. How old? Uh, I think... My eldest, who's now 12, had his first sleepover maybe six years old, mm-hmm. maybe, just from memory. Have you ever hosted one? Oh, yeah. Hosted Were there a bunch any, of them. Are there any rules? Oh, the rules are really simple in our house. You know, it's just like, you know, when we say stuff, it happens. You know, there's a first time, <laughs> there's a first time rule. Hey, and does that work with your kids on a normal level or is this other people's children? 
Yeah, well, in other people's homes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we always get the feedback, your kids are so well behaved. I'm like, at least it's working outside the home. We had a kid, I think I've mentioned this once before, we had a kid come over who was a friend on the bus and I was like, Dad, can so-and-so come over? I said, so-and-so came over, stood in the middle of my kitchen and said, thirsty, thirsty. <laughs> I said, I, I beg your pardon? <laughs> He said, may I please have a drink of Better. water? Better. Yeah, so we're classic. Kids come over and if they don't shake you by the hand and look you in the eye, they get interested. This is how we do it in our house. And look, you let them get away with, you know, about 15% of, you know, slightly blue murder when there's a sleepover. They can go to sleep a bit later and they can maybe play games for a bit longer. But they're all pretty good. We're known as the strict house, you know, mm-hmm. amongst our children and sort of other sort of people. And people turn up and they respectfully toe the line. And, so, and is there a limit on numbers when you have a sleepover? Yeah, we, we don't do big numbers. We kind of, I think the most we've done is like two or three. Okay. Yeah. Kerry, you've got older kids. I'm yeah, assuming... we've had sleepovers for years. Um, and how things... old were they when they started? Probably about the same. Probably about the, Yeah, probably about the same. The thing that struck me about this story was two things. One, what is going on in Darren Levin's life that his life has changed so dramatically because That's of sleepovers? Well, he was just saying face. that the kid was sleeping in instead of waking up early. Ah. Okay, so, but having sleepovers is not, not such a big deal except, you know, you're just dealing with other people's kids for a bit longer than you usually do. And this woman with the instructions, I think what Grant is saying is right. If you know how to deal with kids, if you know how to use an appropriate adult voice, if you know how to convey what your standards are Mm. through verbal and nonverbal cues, you don't need to be writing contracts. I mean, I think that's actually one of the more bizarre things that we've covered in this this session already. And, you know, we've already done child bride exploitation at Kmart. So I think she's she's what we in Yiddish call meshugana, which means a bit mad. You know, you Has anyone ever used that term for you, Kerry? Many, many times. <laughs> um, what are your rules, though? Do you have rules like what Grant is like in our house? This is well, first of all, we... I think anybody who's got more than one child, as both Grant and I do, there are different rules for different kids. You know, when my big girl would have sleepovers, they would take themselves off to bed. They'd talk for a little bit and go to sleep. My little one is much more boisterous and she needs a lot more direction and, and uh, input. Um, she would be happy to stay up all night if I let her, whereas my big girl, it's like, it's 10 o'clock, I'm tired. You know, So different kids, different rules. Yeah. And there are some kids that you learn very quickly are harder work than others having over. There are combinations of kids I won't have over anymore mm-hmm. because I've discovered that, you know, little little Janie by herself is terrific and little Betty by herself is terrific, but you put Betty and Janie in the room together and it's a nightmare and they're up till three in the morning. So mm-hmm. it's just working out. What... Oh God, I'm just thinking of what is ahead of me. <laughs> i got to move on now. All right, look, appropriate. Raising boys in today's world can be challenging, but we all want to avoid toxic masculinity. So how do our guests approach it? That's up next on The Parent Panel. A mum has posted on Facebook explaining why everyone telling her she's mollycoddling her four-year-old can bugger off. In the post, she says, he's my child, he's not weak or less than for showing emotion and needing me. I'm raising him to know men can cry too, men can have needs too, men can get overwhelmed too. Maybe if tearful little boys were comforted instead of shamed, we wouldn't have so many men struggling to empathise with their emotions. Kerry, how have you raised your son to avoid toxic masculinity? Have you noticed a difference in young men who've had the benefit of being taught it's okay to cry? You know, 
thought a lot about that. I don't think that was ever an issue for me. I don't think I thought at all about creating a masculine child or not a masculine child. I just tried to respond to my son according to his needs and, you know, what was best for him as an individual. I know that sounds really woke and I'm not not that woke, but... (laughs) I try with all my kids to get them to be able to, I guess, name and acknowledge their feelings. But I also, I'm very big on resilience. So, you know, the whole Molly coddling thing, I'm not exactly sure what she meant by that. I think, of course, you comfort little boys, you comfort little girls. You never tell a child, you know, harden up, man up, stop crying. But you do teach kids to be able to manage their emotions, whether they're boys or girls. Um, As for toxic masculinity, I mean, my son is you know, in a now a single parent family with two sisters and a mother, particularly my eldest daughter is a really staunch feminist and very aware of issues surrounding gender and and feminism and masculinity. And my poor son has been inundated his whole life with like, hashtag feminism. But I have to say, he's also, he's different to his sisters. I mean, they're all different to each other. And I think I always worried before I had my son when I when I thought I was having a boy you know how do how does one make him into a boy and they just become mm. they just become boys and and I'm a feminist parent so I've tried to raise him to be a nice partner one day to a good feminist girl but for me the molly coddling doesn't really resonate because anyone to me who would would tell a four-year-old boy or girl to stop crying and harden up I think has a real problem that has nothing to do with the patriarchy. That's just kind of mean. <laughs> four-year-olds. Does anyone not want to cuddle a four-year-old? Oh, I'm going to be in the bad books here. Oh, go on. We love a bit of controversy. <laughs> no, I, I'm a big cuddler and I'm a big soother and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I've been heard saying in our house, now they're just crocodile tears. But is that but equally okay. to boys and girls? Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. that's, 100%. that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes yeah. they are crocodile tears. Yeah, exactly. And you know yeah. by the tone, don't you? Yeah. You know by the tone and <laughs> yeah. energetically you can if, feel if it's yeah. properly, you know. If one of your boys was genuinely distressed and came to you, you wouldn't say, no tears, you're a boy. Oh, yeah. No. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. Parenting has changed. How we bring up boys has changed. And why this story in particular intrigued me was that a friend of mine was talking about how the millennials in her office responded to her when she found out she had breast cancer. And the millennials, particularly millennial men, she said, responded so much better, Was so had such a, a more mature approach to it than men of her own age group, which mm. is Gen X, mm. which kind of led me to think, well, I wonder, parenting has changed. How we talk to boys has changed. We have a greater awareness of the impact of suppressing emotions. And I'm wondering if you've seen the difference as a man between how you were raised and mm. how you're raising your boys. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I was the only, I'm the only boy and the youngest, you know, and so I did get mollycoddled actually from my mum a lot. And mum and I did have that special only son, youngest kind of bond. And in a lot of ways, she did try to protect me from the evils of the world, you know, and and that did kind of, I suppose, retard my emotional growth somewhat and I learnt all about that when I got into the big bad world where I saw references of other ways that guys were starting to express their masculinity especially around puberty but and I was a late bloomer so but once I you know had all the the biochemical changes of becoming a man then it kind of was undoubtedly what I was going to do was explore all the things that 
young men explore. Like Carrier was kind of referencing before, boys are boys, you know, and it's like there's all you know varying degrees of what that means but you know there's no and like we we're speaking about the archetypes of the costumes and dress-ups and all that kind of stuff too you know i watch you know my five and four year old yes he'll put a dress on and he'll walk around and he'll go la-di-da you know <laughs> but ultimately he loves banging stuff and you know mm. fast cars and she loves you know painting and nails and all that sort of stuff so the way i was brought up was classic kind of 70s Half work it out for yourself, half this is exactly how you should do it, you know. And and now the way that – and I certainly had a lot of mates who were don't cry, you know, they were still brought up with that kind of stuff, whose dad's dads weren't available, so their dads weren't available, and it was that whole generational thing, right? So I look at my eldest to my youngest boy, so there's 12, 10, and 4. My 12-year-old is a hopeless romantic – doesn't mind having a cry but also loves doing blokey stuff you know my 10 year old he's like super organized um wore a dress to bed the other day and his book week thing was a was a dress right but plays football and hits people on the pitch harder than i I probably would and my four-year-old you know he's a really gentle beautiful mix of all that stuff i've got a really good mate and um the busy dad's podcast starts recording next week which i'm incredibly excited about it's taken me three years to get it going well done um and one of my first guests is going to be a dear friend of mine who has this amazing philosophy you know and i hear him speak to his children and i model myself a lot on, on the way he treats his kids because he's got such great values and the way he executes it in my eye is pretty artfully done very stern he's very firm lets them know the value of working hard and earning stuff and why that's not okay and why is it not okay and you know, his his byline is that I just want my kids to be, to develop empathy. I want to bring mm. kids into the world that are empathetic, compassionate, and they understand that mm. everybody is going through some sort of thing and connect on that level. Mm. And his kids are that. Oh, that's lovely. They'll walk up and ask you if you're okay. Mm. How old are his kids now? Similar to mine. So 12, 10, and they've got a seven-year-old girl. Girl's the youngest. I'm always curious about how much of our parenting in terms of role modeling impacts our children, how much our lessons land, Mm. because I'm not sure how you guys go, but I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and my children are never doing it. And then I walk out going, oh, they are going to be such assholes because they're not listening to Mm -hmm. me. And then later on, years later, you'll turn around and they'll say something and you'll think, oh, that worked. I don't know whether it was what I did or what I said, but they, they're decent people. Um, particularly now you've got older kids, yeah, Carrie. Yeah, I, I think it's less what you say and more what you do. Yeah. And I realised a while back, for example, and I'll talk about one of my parenting fails, but particularly with my little one who can be quite explosive, and I was saying to her over and over again, yeah, calm down, you've got to keep your voice down. But then when she was making me enraged, I'd explode. And it wasn't till, and still she's my third. I should know better by now, but I don't. And so when I figured out, hang on, I'm modelling the exact kind of behaviour that I'm trying to tell her to stop. Um, so then I stopped that and stayed incredibly calm, which is so hard to do when someone's having a, a major meltdown in your face. And that's when I started to see a difference. So I think we can say whatever we want. We can say be, be compassionate, be kind, be empathic. But if we're not modelling that kind of behaviour ourselves, and if they see us, for example, you know, drive past someone and roll our eyes or comment on how unattractive someone is or, you know, not 
give to charity, whatever, then they're the messages are going to get. Words are empty. So it's how you live your life. So I think if you are a compassionate, empathic person and you're talking about these issues continually with your, your kids saying, how do you think Auntie Janet's doing? You know, I know she's struggling since since her husband died. You know, that, that kind of thing. I think that has a real impact. Mm. Um, but of course, you know, we're never going to know really what, what our impact is compared to their genetic load, compared to their peer group, which, you know, is incredibly important. We can all just do our best and... Hope it all works out in the end. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, well, our last topic in just a moment. It's a fun one. For the first time ever, I'm becoming a host on Airbnb. So now you can stay at my Malibu dream house. I'm Iptihaj Muhammad, world-class fencer and one of the Barbie role models. Both Barbie and Airbnb believe there's no door you can't open. Like this door, where you can be an inventor. Or this door, where you can be an astronaut. And this door, where you can become a professional fencer like me. When you belong anywhere, you can be anything. And what better place to live out your dreams than from the Barbie Malibu Dreamhouse? All right, so this is because Barbie is turning 60 this year. She's looking good for 60. Uh, so she's teamed up with Airbnb and has opened the Malibu home for just one weekend. It's basically a mansion kitted out to be a complete replica of the Barbie lifestyle. So that woman who was saying, you can be an astronaut. I, I want to know how you walk into a room and you're suddenly a professional fencer. <laughs> well, you get suddenly to know how to fence. That's well, the magic this is the fantasy. The, yeah. Amazing. So, Grant, if you could recreate a toy universe for your kids and yourself, what would it be? I thought about this not very hard because straight, <laughs> straight away it brought back all these really cool memories. First thing I've got to comment on the Barbie house because, holy shit, it screams of like Big Brother and Love Island gone, <laughs> gone very wrong for kids. With a bit of the Bachelorette right. Mansion oh in there God. as well. <laughs> but I was thinking about all the cool stuff. I really had so much – I've got such a romantic – memories of like I had Aquaman I had G.I. Joe and I would play with these very simple figures that had like one function yes you know one was like their arms were articulated but nothing else yeah exactly the the elbows didn't bend but the shoulders (laughs) moved you know a bit like me these days and uh, but I just thought you know if I could recreate a world it was like it would be an action adventure world where it was really based on, you know, like solving problems and, you know, going in and creating worlds and all that kind of stuff. So would you be Aquaman or G.I. Joe? I reckon I'd be G.I. Joe. He's so G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. Doesn't Aquaman have more powers? Well, he, Aquaman well, can breathe underwater because he chews gum. Oh, that's right. right yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Oxygen. Right. Or oh, was that Marine Boy? Was it? Oh, maybe, maybe that was, it was Marine, Marine Boy. Boy. But I remember there's like oxygen right? gum. Yeah, Aquaman <laughs> and GI Joe are quite interchangeable. Uh-huh. But GI Joe's just got that extra bit of. So I can't grow a proper beard. There was a GI Joe that had a full beard. You know, there was right. aspirational so your, aspects of GI Joe. In your toy universe, the exciting thing would be that you can grow a beard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you remember and those? Blow shit up. Do you remember those those dolls? Or well, I certainly had one and my sister had one when we were kids where you turned their belly button and their the hair, hair grew. grew. But you could have that with a beard. Yeah, you could. His hair sprouted <laughs> from his chin. And you know, these Instant days if they, re- yeah. if they re-release them, they'd do that. But they'd also have another one that made a cardigan grow on them <laughs> <laughs> and ask you how you like your coffee. Anyway. <laughs> Kerry, if you could Look, this, create. This isn't strictly toy, but I could not go past 
the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Wonderland when they first walk in oh. and they're eat, eat, everything's edible. Because I used to watch that movie over and over and over. The original, not the creepy Mm-mm-mm-mm. kind of weird one. Gene with, Wilder. Oh, yeah, the Gene Wilder Gene one. Gene Wilder was a little bit creepy. He was creepy, but he wasn't as creepy as... But he's as, a creepy legend. Yes. <laughs> the, the second one was really dark. It was. It was. Um, so, you know, the mushrooms where you... Pick up the top and there's cream in it and the chocolate river. You can just like swim and drink and swim no, and drink. No, you weren't meant to go in the river, Yes, but everyone Gary. does. That's true. Yeah. And there was a, a little, like there was a tree. <laughs> there was a tree and you could pick off the little teacups and you could drink the tea yes. and, and then eat the cups. So I'm starting to get hungry. That, that. Yes, please. Oh, yeah. oh well, there you go. We, we so, I mean, bit... professional fencer. I want a chocolate river, for God's sake. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we went to some dark places. We went to some uncomfortable <laughs> dark places. Dark chocolate places. And we've come, 70%. We've come back <laughs> to something joyful. Kerry Grant, thank you so much for coming in today. Such a pleasure. I'm going straight to Kmart to get the last bridal costume off the shelf. Joking, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to the chocolate shop. <laughs> You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a babyology podcast, hosted and produced by me, Siobhan Hunt. For more information on the show or to check out other episodes with equally funny and insightful guests, you can find all you need at our website, babyology.com.au forward slash parent panel. Mm-hmm.